0: Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. We have an extremely fun episode in store today because the Jets did something that they haven't done in an extremely long time, and that is win a game with significance. Sure, we won a couple games last year, but they didn't mean anything, and at that point in the season, most fans didn't even want the Jets to win the games. This time, the Jets are looking like they're going to be going down the same path as last year. They're 0-3 to start. Things are looking bleak. Not a good season to start for the Jets. But then they come out and put on a show at home, beating the Tennessee Titans 27-24, it was super fun all around. We saw a great game from Zach Wilson. We saw an awesome game from the defense. Some playmakers really stepping up. Coaching that was some of the best we've seen all year, if not the best. A lot, a lot to get into. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to it. It's been a long time since I recorded an episode like this. Usually we're trying to find stars of the game. or like, who did the best out of a group of bad losers? Now it's like, I don't know if I have enough time to even give everybody the accolades and the stars and everything that they deserve because there were that many good performances in this game. A real fun one, a thriller. The Jets played great. Before we get to everything, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the podcast title, Gangrene Nation. And the series title is, This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. So coming into this one, I predicted the Jets would lose like 26 to 13. Wasn't sure if the offense would be able to get it going. I was wrong on that front. Wasn't sure how well we'd be able to stop the Tennessee Titans. I think we did a really good job considering how little time of possession the Jets actually had. But, uh, you know, the Jets were projected to lose this game, as they have every single game so far this season. They shocked the world. They got a little bit of respect out there. They're not winless anymore. And they're actually tied for second place in the AFC East. So technically there is still some light at the end of the tunnel. Big game coming up next week against the Falcons. We're going to get to all of that stuff. I want to start with the injuries in this game. Uh, wasn't anything too crazy. Again, the Jets have done a pretty good job. After the original injuries, like a had a quick run of Gerard Davis and Carl Lawson and then Vinnie Curry, and it was not looking good. But since then, the Jets have been actually one of the healthier teams in the league. We know that uh, Brandon Eccles left this game with a concussion. JFM, he was on and off the field, kind of banged up at times for a leg. Not exactly sure what the deal is there. We're going to find out more at the practices tomorrow, if he's limited or if he's full practice. Hopefully he's... Good to go because he's an extremely important, valuable player on that defensive line. Guys that didn't play in this game because they were injured, big one, Marcus May. Marcus May has three charges stemming from a DUI on top of an injured ankle. There is all this stuff and headline negative stuff around Marcus May, whether or not he's going to get traded before the trade deadline. His agent's putting out stuff like maybe that's a possibility. At this point in time, he's on a one-year franchise tag. I don't think the Jets should be signing him long-term. When they drafted him from Florida, he was an older player coming out of college. He's definitely older now. We don't need to have this guy here when he's 32 years old playing safety. It's an easy enough position to fill. We have enough needs on the team. The money will be valuable. He clearly wants to be paid a decent amount. My guess is somewhere in that ballpark of like $10 million or so. To me, not worth it. Now when you add this DUI on top of it, fleeing the scene, I don't have all the details on the report still being figured out, but this happened back in February and the league is now starting to you know, talk about it, starting to drop up, so we'll see if he gets suspended anytime in the near future. Either way, I haven't been on board with signing him to a long-term contract unless it's a team-friendly deal, something in the ballpark of like maybe $7 million, $8 million. I think I'd be happy with a number like that. I don't think that he would. Maybe his price tag comes down a little bit given these charges that are currently going on with him, but um, you know, if he wants to get a franchise tag for one more year and they just want to do that as they have extra money in cap space, in the free agency period and need to add something at safety, maybe they do that, and I'd be okay with a one-year deal. I just don't want to give him anything too long, take up too much of the salary cap space, because I don't think that he's important of enough of a player to give that much money to at this point in his career. You know, he's a great player. I hate to say it, but I don't think he's a needle mover enough. I think the defense in and of itself is becoming better at stopping the deep pass. We're not what we were before when we were a man defense. and Guys, were getting right by. The zone defense, tech. It really the tendencies are to keep the deep pass from happening, keep guys in front of you, close quickly and tackle. And the safety is a little bit less important than it was in different defensive schemes. So that's what's going on with him. We'll follow it. I think he's supposed to potentially come back. If not this week, it would be like after the bye week, which is following this Falcons game coming up. So he probably would be good to go then. Won't be suspended at that point in time, I'm sure. But uh, if they trade him, that would be fine as well. But the good news for the Jets in this one is that as Marcus May goes down and isn't able to play. We get two safeties back. It's been a revolving door at that position all year, playing guys like Colbert and Wilson and Redwine and LaMarcus Joyner when he was healthy. Ashton Davis and Sherrod Niesman both come back for this game. And Sherrod Niesman plays a sizable amount of the game. He's over 70% of the snaps. Played a pretty good game as well. Ashton Davis, a little less flash on the field. Definitely a little bit rusty. We knew that he was raw a little bit last year as well. Just a fast track star. Needs to refine his talents a little bit. He was out there for about 30% of the snaps on defense. So it's good to get them back. And then we got Jamison Crowder back in this game as well, and he proved to be a big addition to the team As we needed to have him for this one. I mean, he's a reliable veteran. He made some big, timely plays, and nothing against Elijah Moore. But Elijah Moore has about 60 yards in the season through three games. Jamison Crowder comes out in his first game, gets seven catches on nine targets, 61 yards, a touchdown. I mean, this guy, if you look at the numbers, the receptions and the targets, his pace, if he played for four games, would be the highest in any of any player on the Jets team. It would be higher than Braxton Barrios, higher than Corey Davis. He was targeted a number of times by Zach Wilson, and instantly that chemistry was there. So Elijah Moore was out with a concussion this week. He's a guy that could potentially be back next week against the Falcons. It would be great to have that whole position group healthy. A lot of them add valuable, you know, parts of the offense. Elijah Moore is speedy. He could be a game breaker at some point. Braxton Barrios, super reliable. Keelan Cole has proven to be a deep threat so far. Jameson Crowder, that veteran security blanket in the right place at the right time. Corey Davis, that flash, that yards after catch, the deep ball and the blocking. I mean, all these guys have their parts. Even Denzel Mims potentially at some point could have a part. But I think when you look at it, more options at that wide receiver group would be great. Take some tight ends off of the field. Take the fullback off of the field. Put in an additional wide receiver. I don't mind running Michael Carter in the back with... A Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore, and Keelan Cole. Or take one of those guys off and put a tight end in But there's no reason to have two tight ends with the guys that we have out there, in my opinion. I know they can block potentially a little bit better than a Jamison Crowder or an Elijah Moore. But you sacrifice so much because those guys have basically been absent in the past game. But anyways, other guys that are coming back soon with Elijah Moore. Jeff Smith, who's in a car crash and missed this game, could be back next week if they make him active. Braden Mann could be back soon. Blake Cashman. And then we have the bye week, and after that we'd be looking at guys like Mekhi Beckton, Gerard Davis, Marcus May. I mean, this team is getting healthier faster than it's getting injured. And it's a good thing because the team is starting to click a little bit, and we're seeing that. So I'm going to talk about what I saw from the game, some notes from it. We're going to talk offense, defense, team stats, special teams, player of the games and whatnot, and then go into the AFC East and talk about next week's game against the Falcons. But before we do all that, I do want to get my dad's thoughts on the game. Give him the first crack at this New York Jets win. It's been a long time. He's been waiting as long as all of us. He was just as fired up as all of us. And this is what we got for this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Title, Do You Believe? This was the most fun I've had watching a Jets game since. I can't remember. Overtime wins are great for the team and for fans. We deserved it. Can you believe that this defense sacked Ryan Tannehill seven times with countless QB pressures? John Franklin Myers, Quinnen, they were great. Foley, too, they were dominant. Luan, Benson, and Saffold had to leave the game for periods to recover from a Jets pummeling. A barrage, really. Can you believe in the Quincy Williams-C.J. Mosley linebacker tandem? 20 tackles, 10 each. How fast are those guys? They were green blurs and streaks. Can you believe that the secondary was on top of the offense all game? Guidry, 9 tackles. Bryce Hall was terrific. And backup safeties kept the game in front of them, yielding three field goals to start the game. That was huge. Can you believe that our young defense played over 90 defensive snaps that went to overtime and they never let up? Youth can be a very good thing. Corey Davis enjoyed showing what he's worth, while Julio Jones sat at home watching. Someone earned their pay. The offensive line is coming together, and Zach ended the game with fireworks. And Michael Flohr called a great game. Can you believe that this is the New York Jets' These are our Sundays, and it's only going to get better. Who are the Jets? Are they good? Is this true ascension? I expect so, and I don't see the Jets losing on Sunday to the Falcons. They had way too much fun in week four. They're going to be a brotherhood of mad dogs. Matt Ryan? Who's his backup? I saw Zach suddenly hit five throws in a row last Sunday, and I saw a light go on. A bright one. One that the Falcons will not turn off. Enjoy your Sunday morning, everyone. Believe. And go Jets. End scene. Well, when I read this, you know, shivers, of course, because I've been waiting for something like this. We talk about the possibility. We talk about what could happen. But this is the first time that it actually did happen in a very long time with all these evaluation players and all these young guys, the most rookies in the league, all that stuff. To see it come together like this against a team that was a playoff team last year, a team that was 2-1, projected to win, it was awesome. I loved my dad's points. Can you believe all of this stuff? It was crazy. This front was getting that much pressure? Seven sacks from these guys? I didn't think that we had it in us. The fact that Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosey are like a one-two punch of just domination, shutting down Derrick Henry in part for some of this game. And the defensive backs all year long have been impressive. Bryce Hall has been great. Brandon Eccles has been good when he's been out there. Michael Carter, too, we've been impressed with. Javelin, it just the list goes on. And when Brandon Eccles goes down with a concussion... You get a little bit more Gidry, You get a little bit more Isaiah Dunn. And they both make big plays in this game, potentially game-saving plays. I mean, across the board, it was awesome. I love his line, Corey Davis enjoyed showing what he's worth while Julio Jones sat. Basically, the Titans last year elected not to keep Corey Davis. They signed Julio Jones instead. And In reality, Corey Davis has been arguably the best offensive player on the Jets to date in this season. And Julio Jones has been a good player Factor for them when he's on the field, but he's injured, he's getting old, and one guy did it, one guy didn't. You tell me who the Titans wish they had this Sunday. because They lost the game, and Corey Davis is a big reason we won, and their lack of wide receivers, in their minds, probably is a big reason that they lost. So, great, great for Corey Davis there in the big revenge game. You know, his question, like, is this true ascension? I don't think this team is now a dominant team, one of the better teams in the AFC. I don't think we're now competing for the AFC East but I do think that we saw what we needed to see to realize that when it comes together, it can work. This is what it can look like. The defense is way ahead of schedule from what a lot of us thought would be coming into the season. The offense is behind, but we've seen enough flashes now with Zach Wilson that it's like, all right, I think I got a feel for what it's going to look like. And it is electric, and it can change the game, flip the whole thing on its head in a single throw. Very excited there. My dad asks, who is Matt Ryan's backup, that would be one Josh Rosen, folks. Josh Rosen could potentially, after the Jets, pummel Matt Ryan the way they did Ryan Tannehill. If he can't hold up, we may see Josh Rosen coming into this game, or if it's just such a beatdown, I don't expect that. I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be a similar game script for the Jets offensively as it was against the Titans. I think that it'll be a little bit different on defense for the Jets because the Falcons, while they don't have a Derrick Henry, they do have a lot more... Not a lot more, but they have more options, a little bit more variety in the offense that we'll see in London versus what we saw this past week, which was basically just a Derrick Henry pound-the-rock attack for most of the game with screen passes mixed in. I'm very excited. My dad is right. Enjoy the Sunday. The Jets only play two primetime games this entire season. You've got this one in London against the Falcons. Aren't a flashy team, but it's an exciting game. 9.30 in the morning, little kegs and eggs. Me and my dad will be doing Bloody Marys. Roommate Kyle won't be around to watch the game. He's going on a trip, but me and my dad staying and True, doing some eggs, loving it. Early drinks, we'll see what happens for the rest of that day. But then they play another one against the Colts on Thursday night football. I mean, again, these aren't like Sunday night or Monday night football games. These aren't the, the big ones. This is Thursday night football where you see a bunch of Jaguars, Bengals games, Jets, Colts. And then a London game that a lot of people on the West Coast won't even be awake for. It'll be like 6.30 in the morning there. It's all fine. It's exciting. This is a big stage for the Jets, and it works out nicely that it's a home game for Atlanta. We'll see if we can build on a big win. I hope so. Thank you for the father time, Dad. That one was awesome. Really appreciate it. Let's go Jets. Now before we move on to the next segment talking about the game, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. So this game went back and forth. It started with the Titans moving the ball downfield, but not able to capitalize, getting only field goals the first, second, and third time they scored. It was 9-0, and it was thanks to a great defensive line, a lot of pressure, stopping Derrick Henry at the right time. And then on one third down, they get a sack, force the field goal. The next one, a bad snap over his head. They have to kick a field goal. Next one, third down, they get a sack, have to get a field goal have to kick a field goal. So it was great, timely defense from the Jets, getting that pressure. It wasn't just they got seven sacks in this game. It was when they got those sacks were huge, huge pivotal moments. We don't win this game without plays like that. When you look at the offense for the Jets, it was ugly early. Obviously, the running attack was not super impressive in this game. The Jets ran for 66 yards total, 2.6 yards per rush. Not a lot going there. There were definitely a few nice runs. Then There were a few, like, minus four-yard runs where Michael Carter... Kevin Coleman, we're getting smacked in the backfield, and it accounts for much worse box score statistics than we probably had in this game, but that's kind of the downside to running an outside zone scheme. There's openings for the guys to get through. You're running out wide. Instead of going upfield, you're cutting out. If they get you back there, you lose some yardage. So that happened a few times, but we weren't able to rely on the rush in this game the way that we wanted to. Zach Wilson comes out trying to throw early, and... His first throw, he missed wildly, and you're like, oh, God, what is up with this guy's accuracy? And then he did a couple screen passes, but he was still on target off of his deeper throws. Couldn't quite get there. They get to a third and 14 on the second drive. They choose to run the ball, right? They're, like, nervous to throw deep. We saw what happened on a second and 29 with Zach Wilson against the Patriots. Just heaved it up there. Third and 14, they're just like, listen, we're losing this game, but let's just give it back to them. No mistakes. The first deep throw attempt that Zach actually made in this game Corey Davis slips, INT, short field for the Titans. So it's like you're starting to feel like nothing is working here. we had a couple screens, and that's it. He's been off target. Guys are slipping, interception. What is going on with Zach Wilson? Then they get the ball back. They do two nice out passes, one on the right, one on the left, both to Corey Davis, and get the offense kind of moving. Now you're starting to see a rhythm. You're seeing some smart passes, some creativity from Michael Floor in the offense, Braxton Barrios going outside on the 9-yard run. That was a great play that worked twice in this game. And then by the time we get down to the one-yard line, Michael Carter gets stuffed at first, but the whole team offensive line, George Fant, the tight ends, start pushing him across the goal line for the touchdown, the Jets' third touchdown of the season, their first rushing touchdown of the season, the first of Michael Carter's career, and now the Jets are down 7-9. to So you're thinking, all right, this is kind of exciting. You can see the team come together. You can see that fight. You've seen the fire on the defense so far to this point as they've gotten those big sacks and those big stops. Now the offense, okay, feeling a little bit better now. Team has confidence, you can see it, you can feel it. Penalties continue to hurt the Titans throughout this game, and they're trying to run Derrick Henry early and often trying to wear this defense down. Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley are making most of the tackles. I mean, they are flying all over the field, like my dad said, just blurs on the field, getting up there. It was awesome. And then you got Bryce Hall stopping a bunch of deep play attempts. Titans offense really was Derrick Henry running the ball, getting tackled by Quincy Williams, the defensive line, or C.J. Mosley, short passes, and screen plays. That was really it for the entire game. A lot of penalties mixed in there, too. Some on the Jets, some on them. But the Jets played timely defense. Did a really good job in this game. So I was super impressed. This game goes to overtime, right? Zach Wilson is feeling really good. He's feeling confident with his deep ball. His deep ball, honestly, is more accurate than his short ball, which is concerning to one level but also really exciting at another. He makes a deep play. On third and two, he throws deep to Keelan Cole, basically to set the game up for a field goal for the Jets to potentially win there. And while they were stopped on the one-yard line, running a really dumb play by Michael LaFleur. probably his worst play call of the game, running out with Zach Wilson with really no passing options. They lose yardage on that play, can't go for it on fourth down. They end up kicking the field goal, which is probably a blessing. The Titans move down the field a little bit. They get bailed out on a couple more penalties here and there. A very close one from Gerard Wilson, who's, you know, in the game as a, A Band-Aid sort of safety, but actually played pretty well. They get down there. They have an opportunity to almost get the field goal. The Jets stadium is roaring loud. They're on that final drive of the game in field goal range. They get a delay a game penalty. Can't hear anything. They're like, oh, shit. Then Randy Bullock, who is at this point 3-for-3, which is probably a really good game for him. He goes out there. He misses a 49-yarder, loud stadium, clutch moment, his longest attempt of the day. This is a journeyman kicker that the Jets have had on their team, got rid of and really shouldn't be relied on too, too much. The Titans didn't want to go into this year with Randy Bullock. That wasn't their plan. He missed the kick. The Jets win this game. And the way that I said it most was the Titans didn't lose this game. The Jets won it. The Jets did what they had to do. They made the big plays. They made the stops when they had to. They did the right things to win. Now, when you look at the team stats, it's it's kind of crazy what it looks like, because if you look at the numbers, you'd be like, the Jets must have gotten whopped in this one. First downs, the Titans had 30 to the Jets' 16. They ran 93 offensive plays. The Jets ran 60. The Titans had 40 minutes of offense. The Jets had 29. So when you look at that, you're like, well, what is going on here? The Titans didn't even have a turnover in this game. No turnovers. The Jets had one. The interception thrown by Zach Wilson. But when you look at the sacks, Zach Wilson only sacked one time. Ryan Tannehill sacked seven times. When you look at the third-down efficiency... Zach Wilson and the Jets completing 6 of 14 third downs for first downs. The Titans, 5 for 19. Nowhere near as good. Now when you look at the penalties, the Jets, 6 penalties for 65 yards. Titans, 8 penalties for 98 yards. Those are the big storylines in this game to me. I think the Jets came out and played a, a dynamic game. Everything we'd want to see, great defense, a good pass rush, nice coverage. It's kind of crazy when you think about the fact that they got 24 points because you're thinking to yourself, they played such good defense all game. Where did 24 points come from? And then Zach Wilson, who had an abysmal first quarter and even a bad start to the second, got it going, got his confidence, and was throwing these fireballs downfield, making huge plays happen, flipping the field instantly, and putting that spark on the team that we needed to win. So I was super impressed. With the Jets' performance, I'm going to go over to some individual players. Actually, basically all the individual players now, because everybody deserves a little bit of a shout-out. We are going to start on offense. We are going to start with the quarterback, Zach Wilson. So he finishes this game 21 for 34, 297 total yards, two touchdowns passing, which is tied for his best ever, and one interception, which is a nice, finally, two touchdowns to one interception, a good ratio, finally. You'd love to not have that interception, absolutely, but I do believe that if Corey Davis didn't slip on that route, it would have at least tipped his hands. Maybe it would have been incomplete, but it wouldn't have been picked off. I don't put that one on Zach Wilson. It wasn't necessarily a super open receiver, most likely, but it didn't deserve to have the INT. Corey Davis got off to a slow start early. So did Zach Wilson. Nothing was really clicking. But we talked about that moment when they had that scoring drive, the offensive line pushed Michael Carter into the end zone. Zach Wilson said to himself, he felt like a weight was lifted. The tension was releasing. And now he's feeling more comfortable back there. He only gets sacked one time in this game, pretty upright. He does have to do some shifty pocket work, rolling out to his right, rolling to his left, dodging guys, but he's pretty good at that stuff. And he starts looking downfield and making the big throws. The first one, a 57-yard bomb in the air, rolling to his right to Keelan Cole, who only had three catches in this game but 92 yards. Keelan Cole is a nice, welcomed addition to this team because he's long, He's fast, and he catches the ball when it's thrown downfield. You need that. He's been reliable so far. I think he's like a better version of Brashad Perriman. We just haven't seen enough of him yet because he missed some time early. He's working back with chemistry, and we've got a, a much bigger group of wide receivers to choose from, or it doesn't have to be all Keelan Cole, the way it was like Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perriman. That's it. Um, he plays that sort of a role in this offense right now, though, which is important to have, especially when you got a guy who likes to throw the ball deep. Then he throws another deep ball to Corey Davis, gets a pass interference. It's like a 40-yard penalty. That was huge. doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You've got a bomb where he directs Corey Davis down the field points and says, go deep, go deep. Corey Davis looks up. It's like backyard ball. He throws it, gets the touchdown with two guys there. That's the stuff that, like, these guys, it's weird at first when you play with a guy, you know, like a Chris Paul or a LeBron James, who make these crazy passes that you're not quite expecting. When you play with a guy like Zach Wilson who improvises and does stuff that other people that you've played with simply don't, it takes a little while getting used to it. I'm sure Clyde Edwards Alaire and Travis Kelsey weren't super used to a quarterback basically shovel passing or underhanding a ball to them on the two yard line. But you practice it, you get used to it, and you get better at it, and it becomes something that you do. Now, Zach Wilson and Corey Davis, they're just building their relationship and they're just getting this thing going. And now you're starting to see, like, all right, this works. And Corey Davis, he's like, that was like a 50-yard touchdown pass. That's a big deal for him in this big revenge game for him. He starts thinking like this. They start getting on the same wavelength. You don't necessarily have to point, say, go downfield. They just start doing it. It starts working. This is going to be a lot of fun. We saw a ball, a whole play go off script. Zach Wilson drops the snap, picks it up, rolls to his left. A dime to Jamison Crowder. Big play there. We saw a bomb... The third and two in overtime was the craziest one. It's third and two. You got to get two yards to keep this game going. You haven't scored yet. And he throws this, like, 38-yard freaking cruiser down the left sideline, dropping right in the breadbasket of Keelan Cole, gets two feet in, goes out of bounds. I mean, that was just like, if that doesn't work on third and two, you're thinking to yourself, like, what just happened? Why are you throwing that on third and two? But when it does work, you win the game. He caught that ball on the 25-yard line. That was field goal range to begin with. Field goals all the Jets needed in this one to win. That's a big deal. Zach Wilson, I don't know if I mentioned it. It might have been forgotten in the last episode. He was the doghouse player of the game last week for his performance, not being able to get it going, lack of confidence. In this game, he is the reason that the Jets won. The Jets weren't running the ball well enough to sustain really long drives. I mean, we had a couple nice ones, but really the way that they were playing, I was like, all right, stop the run, make Zach Wilson throw it. Zach Wilson's not too confident throwing short yet. Not got great timing routes going with these guys. But he made those big plays. Those four plays that you really want to point to, that fifth if you count the pass interference on Corey Davis, that you really can point to and say, those were the real offensive juggernaut plays that propelled the Jets to a win. He is the offensive player in the game in this week. Because without what he did, his specific performance on those throws, there's no way the Jets win this game. The Titans played a game not turning the ball over running Derrick Henry 33 times for 157 yards, running the ball for 4.6 yards per play, utilizing the screen pass, which is a Jets' weakness. They did what they had to do with game script to try to win this one. The Jets, their hope was some awesome play from Zach Wilson, and he did that stuff, the stuff that only he can do. The reason that we drafted him, sure, there's other stuff that you look at and you're like, man, he had opportunities to win this game. He could have hit Corey Davis on a third and 10. If he hit him there at the end of the game, it was probably about over. If he hit Ryan Griffin on the Jets' final offensive possession, where Ryan Griffin goes in the flat, misses him a little bit low, it looked like he had wide open field to run in for like an 8-yard touchdown. Those plays could have been better. Maybe had he thrown the ball when he rolled out to his right on that designed, that dumb designed rollout that Michael Flohr called on second and goal, or third and goal, I guess it was. Maybe if he'd thrown the ball there and went back to fourth and goal, they could have run the ball into the end zone from there, a quarterback sneak or something that would be a lot more conservative of a play call. Could have won the game. Wouldn't even give the Titans a chance to get the field goal try. But he did enough in this game to propel the victory. 297 yards. Awesome game. I mean, he did that stuff that you dream of. So, player of the game, Zach Wilson, super stoked on it. When you look at the guys he was throwing to, Corey Davis had four receptions, 111 yards. That big 53-yarder. He had a touchdown on that deep play. That was great to see after a slow start. Keelan Cole... He had a 54-yarder, three receptions for 92 yards. He also had that really beautiful pass on that final drive. Great showing up clutch. You know, he's not a main focal point of the offense here. You know, he's like a fifth option. When it's thrown his way, he's playing well. Jameson Crowder, welcome back to the lineup. He's in there instead of Elijah Moore. You see Braxton Berrio's snaps go down to about you know 15% or so after being like 70 in the first three games. Jamison Crowder takes that snap share, even without Elijah Moore, and it was basically Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, and limited Braxton Berrios. You know, limited Denzel Mims. Mims played 10 snaps, no catches. Crowder has seven receptions, 61 yards, a touchdown. I mentioned it before. If he kept up those numbers, the seven receptions, the nine targets, he would be the Jets' leading target. He would be the guy that Zach Wilson is looking at most. It's only been one game. Game script probably wasn't, looking for Jamison Crowder on the Titans' side as much because he hasn't played so much this year. Zach Wilson doesn't maybe have the chemistry with him, but I think now we've seen it. He was catching those short balls again, 8.7 yards per catch. He's not the Corey Davis, the Keelan Cole that goes deep. He's the guy that's the security blanket, the five-yard throw to pick up the first down, the guy that gets the three-yard flat touchdown. Great game from him, way to find the end zone. His veteran presence was felt right away. You mentioned Denzel Mims, no catches. It's fine. The offense was good. We didn't need him in this game. We have three really good wide receivers in those first three guys. No problem. Braxton Berrios, not involved in the passing game, but he was involved in that running game with two rushes for 15 yards. One of those nine yards, and the one in the last drive, too. I mean, those are big plays. The tight end group drives me crazy. I am not impressed with Ryan Griffin, Tyler Croft, or Trevon Wesco or Daniel Brown. Call it however you want. And it was Tyler Croft early, then it was Ryan Griffin. Now it's a mix of both. I mean, they both play in every game, but, like, which way are they leaning? I don't think they know who to use because I don't think they like either one. I wonder if they wish they had Chris Herndon, who's not doing anything in Minnesota right now. But I wonder if they wish they had somebody else there, had made a play for a tight end, because whatever you thought you were getting from Tyler Croft from what he did in the preseason, we're not seeing it right now for the Jets in the regular season. Ryan Griffin, he's never come back to what he was two years ago. Trevon Wesco' has never really been good at any position. We thought maybe he was trending towards a good fullback. He wasn't. They basically took those snaps away from him. Daniel Brown is on the team for special teams. Made a couple special teams errors so far this year. Doesn't show up on offense. It's a bad group. So I would like to get more wide receivers on the field, less tight ends. Just get these guys blocking better. The Wide receivers can do that. You have to change your game script a little bit. You know, your outside zone running scheme probably isn't quite as successful as it would be. But I don't know. It's just tough to have those tight ends on the field or get somebody else. Find a way to get somebody out there that can make an impact. Running backs, I mean, the Jets don't target the running back very often in the passing game. Tevin Coleman had two for 17 yards. Ty Johnson had two for 12 yards. Always finds a way to pick up a key first down. He did that in this game on a third and five. Pretty good. Michael Carter, he had a catch, minus four yards. That was just a play, you know, thrown behind the line of scrimmage, blown up right away. But a good receiving day. 297 receiving yards there. Big, deep plays. You have a 53-yarder for Davis, a 54 for Cole, a 29 for Crowder. Boom, like, what big numbers. Love to see it. Great job by those guys. Happy with what we saw. When you Look at the running game. It wasn't super flashy. 2.6 yards per carry. I mean, the only guy that was really doing well was Braxton Barrios on those two carries. Michael Carter had a couple really nice runs. I don't want to take away from his, like, on the 7-yard line, on the scoring drive where he ran it in. He had a really nice balanced play, shifty getting up there, picking up extra yardage. Did that a few times, but he finished with 38 yards. And a lot of it was because, as I mentioned earlier, he gets tackled in the backfield a lot. Part of the wide zone scheme, part of the, what the Jets are running and the play calls that they're doing, you have opportunities to get tackled in the backfield, tackles for a loss for the other team when that happens. Kills your stats, can potentially kill your drives. The, the touchdown was nice for him. I was happy to see that. Tevin Coleman, He ran the ball four times for 14 yards, so that was the most efficiency of anybody. And he had that one really great play that must pick up. It was third or fourth in inches, and he jumped over the top, and it was just like this veteran play where you're like, man, Tevin Coleman hasn't had a huge impact on this game, but right there just seeing a veteran come out, get up in the air, pick up the first down, hold on to the ball. It was like that was a big play. And Ty Johnson, he only ran the ball three times. One yard. So you're seeing as the year has gone on, I think we came into this year thinking it was going to be Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson leading the way early, and Michael Carter would have to earn snap share. Michael Carter is now the guy that gets the most carries, at least for the last couple games. He is the quote unquote bell cow for the Jets, getting 13 carries, next most in the team, four for Coleman, three for Johnson. So Michael Carter has obviously shown a lot. He's shown a lot to me. I love the way he plays, the numbers don't do him justice. The team hasn't really gotten in a rhythm on offense in a game where they're like doing nice drives down the field that would really play into a running back skill set. It's a lot of either no offense at all, or in this last game against the Titans, really, really quick. You know, 60 offensive plays, just deep bombs downfield, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well, we're in field goal range now. Didn't need to run the ball to get there. So we'll see what happens as the year goes on, but I'm definitely high on him. The offensive line, you have to be pleased. I know that the running game wasn't there 2.6 yards per carry. But the team won this game because of Zach Wilson is throwing. He was only sacked one time in this game. He was finally comfortable. He was finally able to see his guys get open downfield. And they're playing well. They are trending up in pass blocking. They're trending up a little bit in run blocking. They could be better. The Patriots game was the one really nice game you like to go back to. But the pass blocking wasn't quite as good. AVT is doing well. Makai Becton's going to be coming back hopefully soon. He's going to have to get back in shape maybe, I don't know, three weeks or so. We'll have back. That'll be a big deal. I think the team is starting to get a little bit of jelly. There's definitely going to be some hiccups still. The offensive line communications are not solved. We had issues last week, the first three weeks really. Not so many this week, but they're not over. You know, Zach Wilson isn't all of a sudden a great quarterback. The team isn't defined by this one game. They played well today. They still have a lot to to do to grow and progress. So happy with what we saw. Hope they can build off of it. The Falcons will be a good matchup for them to do that and uh, keep getting some confidence in the bye week. It is, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic right now. The offense showed it in this game. Their best performance, scoring points. We were worried the Jets couldn't even score. We had two touchdowns in the first three games combined, and they both came against the Panthers. We had a couple field goals. I mean, this offense was just not doing anything. Shut out by the Broncos. And we're thinking like, man, how bad are they? Michael LaFleur able to do the job, I and mean, we were starting to doubt ourselves. Zach Wilson the guy for this? But we did know. We circled the Titans on the calendars. That's the first defense that kind of lets up and allows the Jets to a home game, maybe build on some stuff, maybe have the best performance of the year. And it happened. So they win the game, 27-24. Let's go, Jets. Before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, which was also awesome, we do have to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for this week's What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's on Tap. And today I am drinking what is called Box of Raining Cats, made by Fat Orange Cat. I guess it's canned by Fat Orange Cat. It's brewed by, no, it's brewed and canned by Fat Orange Cat, but it is distributed by 12% Brewing. And 12% Brewing is kind of like a hot name around the Connecticut area, one of the better breweries around, Um, one of the newer ones as well. Fat Orange Cat, kind of an underground place but they make really good New England IPAs. So I saw this one. It's my brother-in-law's birthday. We went fishing. Me, roommate Kyle, and brother-in-law Ryan. I got four beers. had one left over. I said, this is going to be a perfect podcast beer. It's got a funny can. It is a a funny-looking, like, devil cat carrying a box of rain. It is raining on it, and he's standing in fire. And some people really like this. I've heard people say, I love it. All the fat orange cat beers have cats on them. I love that they do that. My brother-in-law said, I don't like cats. I am glad to see a cat getting rained on. He looks miserable standing in the fire. So two different takes, but something for everybody. This thing's a 16-ouncer, 7% alcohol, New England-style India pale ale. It's a little sweet. It's pretty good. I'll keep drinking it. It's not one that uh, will be my go-to moving forward just because it is a little bit sweet, but it's super smooth and, you know, New England style IPAs, you know what you're getting. Probably like 400 calories of high alcohol goodness. And as long as it's not like super bitter or have like a really bad flavor, they're good. This isn't one of the exceptional ones, but some other beers by Fat Orange Cat are. So if you see those, they usually have cats on them. Baby Kittens is a good one. Uh, There's a couple others that are usually cat related. If you see them, they're usually good. And it's up by 12% as well. I would recommend both of them. Good old Connecticut breweries. Gotta love it. So that is this week's What's on Tap, Box of Rating Cats by Fat Orange Cat and 12% Brewing. Now, before we go to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Alrighty, folks, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about the defensive side of the ball in this Jets win versus the Tennessee Titans. As the Jets go to 1-3, and winning 27-24, and putting the Titans to 2-2 which is something that they're definitely not happy with. Now coming into this game, the game script was simple. Stop Derrick Henry. They don't really have receiving options. A.J. Brown not playing. Julio Jones not playing. But that's never stopped the Tennessee Titans from just hammering Derrick Henry down the middle and outside all game long. It's nothing new to give him 33 carries, which he got in this game. And he did end up having a pretty good game, 4.8 yards per carry, 157 yards. When you look at those numbers, you're like, well, that's a pretty good game from Derrick Henry. But the thing is, he had chunk yardage, 15-yarders, 16-yarders frequently in this game. But then there were drives where the Jets stopped him nicely at the right times. So just because he had 157 yards, he wasn't picking up 6 yards, 6 yards, 6 yards, and just grinding us down. He had a couple nice drives where he picked up, you know, big chunks. But then after that, the Jets were able to stop him. Yes, they had a nice game plan. They got through something. They found a seam. They found a hole. They got upfield. But when the Jets had opportunities to get their hands on him, they typically took him down. So I was very pleased with the game plan there from the Jets. We knew that they're going to be focusing on coming in. Ryan Tannehill threw the ball 49 times in this game for a total of 298 yards. And while we weren't able to get an interception on him, don't have one on the entire season, just don't have an interception. That's crazy. We were able to sack him seven times, losing 45 yards and at key moments. And we made, you know, most of his success came in the screen game. He was throwing to Jeremy McNichols. Eight receptions for running back Jeremy McNichols for 74 yards, picking up big, like, third-and-21s, and 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 third-and-16s. It was just kind of crazy. When you look at the rest of the guys, Chester Rogers, five catches for 63 yards, Josh Reynolds, six catches for 59, nobody really stood out and had a great game. It was screen passes, short passes, and Derrick Henry. The Jets' defense did enough in this game, told them to 24 points, and win the game. So early on, talking defensive line, First guy you have to mention, Quinnon Williams. and Williams had a great game. Super impressed with what he did. He took down Derrick Henry a few times the line. He had seven tackles in this game, two sacks, a tackle for a loss, two quarterback hits. I mean, Quinn Williams played an amazing game up front. He's showing what you'd hope to see from a guy like him in his third year. Coming back from the injury, he's right where you'd want him. Did you know that he's got the 12th most sacks in the entire NFL behind, like, really good players like Khalil Max and Chandler Jones. If you look at the list ahead of him, you're like, well, all these guys make sense. He's 12th in the league. He's a defensive tackle. Three and a half sacks that he has in the year is the second most of any defensive tackle in the league. And the only guy you know, from the Eagles, Hargrave, he's got five right now, kind of coming out of nowhere. Quinn and Williams, you expect it. You see him up there. He's doing great. He's making a huge impact. He's getting double-teamed frequently. He's beating them. Michael Nania put up a number that was like Quinton Williams' win rate against guys blocking him is extremely high, one of the highest in the league. So great game from Quinnen. Saw the guys next to him. Sheldon Rankins had some nice plays. Foley Fadikasi had some really nice tackles as well on Derrick Henry. I mean, those guys. Coming into the game, Mike Rabel said, this Jets front is one of the best that we're going to see all year, if not the best. And at first you're thinking to yourself like, Okay, you're just saying that, going into a game, getting your team, like, make sure they're focused. When you think about it, typically you don't look at them as being a big pass rush team, but and Williams fully fought Acossi and Sheldon Rankins is as good a defensive tackle unit as there is in the entire NFL. John Franklin Myers is playing out of his mind. Played a, a great game again in this one. He had a sack, two tackles for a loss, super timely one. He had a sack on a third down that forced a field goal, one of those big ones. He should have had another sack where he basically pushed a defensive or a tight end into the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, to get what would have been another sack. He was making a big impact. He's been great all year. The uh, Adam Archuleta was loving what he saw from John Franklin Myers in this game, giving him a bunch of shout-outs, which I thought was great because he's been an unsung hero for the Jets for a long time since we picked him up. He's only 25 years old. I mean, this guy is a lot of good football ahead of him. He's playing great right now. On the other side, you're not playing Tim Ward anymore. He's not really gotten it done. You're playing Shaq Lawson, you're playing Bryce Huff. Shaq Lawson played a decent amount of snaps in this game. Not a huge impact, but he ran a guy out of bounds at one point, took a good angle, that was important. The other guy, Bryce Huff, in that spot, he had a great game as well. I came into this game a little down on Bryce Huff because sometimes he gets washed away, doesn't set an edge. He's not the complete player that we've seen from other guys. But when you see him out there turning the edge, getting upfield, making these quick moves, getting after the quarterback... In this game, they have him down for a sack and a half. I think if you watch the game, you probably see a little bit more than that. Um, i not sure, you know, Ryan Tannehill had a bad snap. He goes down and touches and They don't give him a, snap, a sack there. Bryce Huff was all over the place, and he had three quarterback hits in this game. Great to see it from him. He's a young guy, undrafted free agent last year. It's all starting to come together with these seven sacks, you know? John Franklin Myers getting after him and quitting with two and then you get Bryce Huffs coming out with a sack and a half, and Rankins and Foley Fadikasi are playing the run awesome. You're like, this defensive line doesn't have Carl Lawson, Vinnie Curry, Ronald Blair hasn't been an impact player like I thought he would be, He's just a practice squad guy. They're still getting it done, and this was a great game for the defensive line all around. All around. So then we move over to the linebackers, and you start with the guys that are question marks. You got Jamie and Sherwood plays 20, there's like, you know, basically 100 snaps in this game. Sherwood plays 24 of those snaps, like a quarter of the plays. Dean plays 23 of those snaps. Delshawn Phillips plays 23 of those snaps. They don't know who they want to use there. Those guys are splitting up like 75% of the snaps, having a third linebacker on the field. And it's just a mix between all of them, and none of them stood out in this game. Hardly saw Delshawn Phillips even show up in this game. Dean hasn't done anything all season long. JB and Sherwood, basically, for that matter, the same. But then you look at the middle linebackers, or the other two, Quincy Williams, 97% of snaps, has taken over this Jets linebacker group and is now out there, he's a must-play guy now, playing 97% of snaps, next to C.J. Mosley, who played 100% of snaps. My dad brought it up in his father time. These two guys are a wrecking crew. They did so much in this game. I couldn't be more excited about what I saw from Quincy Williams. He had 10 solo tackles, 2 tackles for a loss, a sack, a pass deflection... Quarterback hit, he was not only tackling guys, he was laying lumber. There were a couple plays that he could have probably had an interception if he kept his head up, but he's going for the big hit, focused in on a guy, fired in like a missile, hit some running backs, caused some incomplete passes that don't show up on the stat sheet. Quincy Williams was all over the place, wrapping guys up and hitting hard. This guy is an assassin out there in the linebacker group. If he keeps playing at this level... We're going to be very, very pleased with our defense for the rest of this year. Because him and Mosley right there next to each other, 1-2, they were shutting it down on a lot of plays. And when you look at C.J. Mosley, he is the defensive player of this game. I looked at Quinn and Williams, great game. I looked at Bryce Hall, great game. I looked at Quincy Williams. But C.J. Mosley, he had 10 solo tackles, 13 total. He had a sack, a tackle for loss. But the way that he played, coming into this game, the game script was simple. Stop Derrick Henry. When you watch the game and you look at the stops on Derrick Henry, the majority of them were C.J. Mosley. No player was more impactful in stopping Derrick Henry's runs, taking him down, cleaning up tackles, wrapping up, getting him down quickly, not getting taken for a ride by a big guy like that. C.J. Mosley was a perfect counterpart to Derrick Henry. When he went left, C.J. Mosley went left. When Derrick Henry went right, C.J. Mosley followed, made big plays at big times. He played pretty well in the coverage game, too, causing a coverage sack, in my opinion. C.J. Mosley has been dominant on this defense. He's probably the best player on the entire Jets team. He's everything that we hoped he would be after we saw that one game two years ago. And then it's like, we're paying this guy so much money. I can't believe he's still on the roster. How long are we stuck with him? He said he wanted to come back and play. We were a little hesitant because he sat out for COVID. And, you know, some people did that for They have a million reasons why, but you're wondering, like, is he still not healthy? Is he trying to, like, dodge getting back on the field? Couldn't have been more wrong because he is electric, tackling better than ever. I couldn't be higher on C.J. Mosley. This is not his first defensive player of the game. This is his second. He's got plenty more coming as long as he stays healthy, which I imagine he will because he's just a pillar of health right now playing out of his mind. Awesome game, C.J. Mosley. Quincy Williams next to him, great. The rest of the linebackers figure it out because – we got two guys now. You got the rest of people fighting for one position. And when you look at Quincy Williams, just real quick, he's got five tackles for a loss in the season. That's the most in the Jets team. He only played three games. He wasn't even here week one, and he leads the team in tackles for a loss because he's just a shooting missile. I'm loving the linebacker group right now. We don't even need Blake Cashman. Maybe he'll be the guy. Between Jamie and Sherwood, Phillips, Dean maybe Cashman comes back. He provides some good minutes. I don't know, but we got two good ones there. Looking at the cornerbacks, Bryce Hall had an awesome game. He made, he was stopping all the deep passes. He was staying with these wide receivers. I know it's not A.J. Brown or Julio Jones. but When you look at it, these are backup wide receivers. I think coming into this year, you would think to yourself, with the cornerback group that we had, we might get beat up by backup wide receivers. I mean, this unit wasn't supposed to be very good. But they are. They're turning it on. They're keeping plays in front of them. They're tackling really well better than I thought was possible. And Bryce Hall has been the best of all of them. He plays 100% of snaps. He had a bunch of pass deflections. Touchdown saving plays. First down saving plays. Stopping the deep ball. He played an amazing, amazing cornerback game. Very pleased with what we saw there. Brandon Echols was good early on. He got injured. Isaiah Dunn comes in. He does a good job. Javelin Guidry in this game plays 85% of the snaps. Michael Carter played 75% of the snaps. Both of them had an impact. And they tackled. Well, you're playing against a freight train in Derrick Henry. And these guys, cornerbacks, safeties included, everybody, were wrapping up when they got to him. There were times when he got to the open field. There were a couple plays where he broke some tackles. But overall, the tackle efficiency from this team was on point. And a big, big reason the Jets won this game. I just mentioned the safeties. Sherrod Eastman came back this week. He played a good game and had... Another potentially a game-saving pass deflection at the very end of the game. Tipped it out of the way. Great game from him. Happy to see him. You can see it right away, right, because we still have Adrian Colbert, who's been playing almost starting minutes at safety. He only plays 26% of snaps in this game because Ashton Davis is back and Sherrod Niesman is back, both of whom play more snaps than him. So you can instantly see, like, okay, Adrian Colbert was playing, but not because we wanted him to play, because he had to play. We didn't have anybody else. Now when you bring back, Niesman is a guy that's going to be an impactful player for the Jets' defense. We were going through those Redwines and Wilsons and Colberts. They're all guys that are going to be moving on. Neesman is a guy who will continue playing for the Jets. He is actually a guy who should be on the field. He had a great preseason. He beat J.T. Hassel for the job. He was kind of an exciting guy coming in in the free agency period. Then you got Ashton Davis. The you know arrow hopefully pointing up on him as he was a third-round draft pick from last year. Super fast, but raw. Maybe Robert Sala can get a lot out of him. Then you get Marcus May coming back from injury. It's all going to get a little bit better in that safety group. Pleased with what we have. They didn't give up any deep balls in this game. I think when you look at it, the wide receivers from them, the longest play in this game was a 27-yarder for Jeremy McNichols. That was a screen pass. Other than that, Chester Rogers had a 20-yarder. Nobody else was getting 20-yard gains. Safeties were keeping guys in front of them. Players were wrapping up. And hell of a job. Hell of a win. 27-24. 27 24. New York Jets, let's go. Oh, yeah. And then we're just going to touch on the special teams. Special teams was solid because we made all of our kicks. We didn't have any bad punts like they did in Tennessee. We had some nice kick returns. Player of the game on special teams is Braxton Barrios, who had two nice punt returns had an 18 yarder and a 14 yarder. Both were super clutch. The Jets needed yardage in this game. We weren't getting a lot on the ground. The short pass wasn't really working that well for the Jets. Braxton Barrios provided some life on special teams. Very important. He also had one kick return for 24 yards. Solid. Matt Amendola, I don't trust him still. His kicks were sketchy. His game-winning kick. You could give him player of the game because he made a game-winning kick, but it didn't look like something that I thought would go in. It was low. It was at such a sharp angle. It did go in. You think like, yeah, you could kick it that way, but just so much more room for error in my mind, just blasting it in there. Because um, if you miss, you're just shooting it in the wrong direction. I, I, you know, go up and let it have some loft and hang time and and stay within, rather than just going at a sharp angle. But he was two for two, three for three on extra points, hundred percent. So you got to be happy with his performance. Thomas Morstead has been a fine, serviceable backup punter since Braden Mann's been out. Braden Mann will eventually be coming back as long as he's healthy and ready to go. I think he'll be an upgrade, but definitely pleased with Thomas Morstead. He had a nice 56-yarder in this game, two inside of the 20, so pleased with it. So that is what we've got for this Jets team. The doghouse player of the game, I failed to mention because his impact was just so minimal. On defense, one, Nathan Shepard. You're thinking, Nathan Shepard, is he still on this team? He is, and he's getting 37% of snaps in this game, and somehow playing that very, very small amount found a way to get three penalties. A roughing the passer, a holding, and an offside at the end of the game in crunch time when the Jets needed to have stops and could not be giving away yardage, an offside there. Nathan Shepard had three of the Jets' penalties in this game. Didn't have really any impact on the defensive side of the ball. And as you see the rest of the defensive line keep getting better and better, you start to wonder just how much will Nathan Shepard be uh, playing moving forward and how long before he's off the team replaced by somebody coming back from injury. Nathan Shepard trending down. He is our doghouse player of the game. So that is what we've got for offense, defense, and special teams. Next order of business is to take a quick look at the AFC East. Perhaps you are wondering, are the Jets making some ground here? Are they potentially playing for the AFC East? Well, it's possible. Buffalo's in first place at 3-1, and and we still play them two times, so anything is possible. But right now, the Jets are still in the basement. This past week, Buffalo crushed Houston 40-0. Just an absolute crushing. They're 3-1, first place in the division. Their next game is at Kansas City. That's going to be a big one. Hopefully they come back down to earth a little bit after that big win. And if they lose that one, first place in the division would be 3-2. and two. That is definitely something the Jets can get to. They'd be 2-3 and three if they win against the Falcons. Getting ahead of myself here. But definitely a road to some excitement. The Dolphins playing with Jacoby Brissett still. They lost to Indianapolis 27-17. They're now 1-3, and three, which is second in the division. And their next game is going to be in Tampa Bay against the Bucs. So they probably will not be winning that game. It's hard to imagine they would. The Patriots just lost to that same Bucks team 19-17. to I know the score looks close. It was raining. Tom Brady had an off night. The Patriots got super lucky to even be in that game. Mac Jones still not looking good. They're 1-3, third in the division. Their next game is against the Texans in Houston. So there were a couple guys that got injured or, or COVID designations for them, I think, that came out today for the offensive line of the Patriots. Hopefully that slows them down a little bit. They're not a very good team, and the Texans have had some life so far this year. But with Davis Mills playing against that defense, you can't imagine that the Texans are really going to be putting up that many points against the Patriots. If any, they would need to score on, like, defense or special teams or some crazy wild plays. I don't really see it happening. New England probably wins that game and goes to 2-3. But right now they're in third place. That's their next challenge. The Jets, they won 27-24 versus Tennessee. They are now 1-3, same as the Patriots, same as the Dolphins. They're fourth in the division because of their loss to the Dolphins, or Patriots rather. And their next game is against the Atlanta Falcons in London. So now we talk about that game coming up. We're going to close this episode off with a little preview of Jets-Falcons. So it's Jets at Atlanta, technically, in London, Tottenham Stadium. This is going to be an NFL Network game where the Jets are three-point underdogs right now. I'm not sure if they're giving home field advantage to the Falcons but it's very nice to play a game in London, a neutral site field, and have it be an away game for you because this is one of the away games the Jets have to play. They actually playing 17 games this year, have more home games than away games as the AFC does this year, so they actually have a, a bit of an advantage there in terms of home field advantage. This is what I'd consider neutral. The Jets, maybe even a bigger market. Maybe it'll be a little bit more Jets fans there. Who knows? But it's a big deal playing in London. There's only a couple games there this year. People get excited. I mean, tickets right now, highest in the league. It's like $295 for the cheapest tickets that you can find. And maybe you could find a scalp them somewhere else. But realistically, like this is a, a hot ticket item that people want to go to. And it's not the flashiest matchup with two teams that aren't playing so great this year. But I think we're in store for a good game. And if Zach Wilson puts on the performance that he did against the Titans matches that sort of thing, maybe gets a little bit more comfortable. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So lots to get into on this one. Uh we got Arthur Smith as the head coach. He was the former offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. You would wonder if the Titans actually missed Arthur Smith this past week as their offense was kind of lacking in creativity. It was just screen passes and runs. Arthur Smith has moved over to Atlanta, but he hasn't found a ton of success there. This team is one and three right now. They just lost to the Washington football team and Taylor Heineke thirty to thirty four their only win was against the Giants, 17 to 14, so a close game there against a bad team. Then they lost 25 to 48 to the Bucs. They lost 6-32 week one against the Eagles. Not great. And when you look at it, there's a couple ways we're going to kind of focus on this game. First one being the Jets defense versus the Atlanta Falcons offense. So in my mind, the Atlanta Falcons offense is more dynamic than Tennessee's. Tennessee has a better player in Derrick Henry, but especially without AJ Green or AJ Brown and Julio Jones, it was a very one-dimensional attack. Now, the Falcons, they have a little bit more going than the Tennessee Titans had last week. They've got Calvin Ridley, who is their leading receiver doing a really good job, Cordarrell Patterson, who we've seen a journeyman around the league that's just like a shifty return man and has now blossomed into this sneaky player who's just getting touchdowns and big plays. They got the rookie Kyle Pitts, who was a big time Big time guy coming out of Florida. who was considered like a generational talent at tight end. Potentially, he's on my fantasy team. He's not been a generational player so far through the first four games. Doesn't have a touchdown on the year, but potentially could be better. When you look at the splits of these guys, Ridley's got 42 targets. The next most on the team is Kyle Pitts at 26. The next receiver, it's not a running back, not Cordarrelle Patterson. Basically, is Olamide Zacchias. He's got 13. So 13 to the 42 from Ridley, the 26 from Pitts. Obviously, they focus on those two guys primarily in the passing game and the running game. Quarterell Patterson has 27 rushes. He's got 22 targets. He's out on the field every play because they play Mike Davis at running back who's had a bad year rushing so far. But Patterson is the other guy. you got a three-man unit here. It's not just one Derrick Henry. It is a Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts, Quarterell Patterson. Stop those three guys, win the game. I'm not super worried about a Mike Davis coming out party this year. The Jets have had a very good defensive line. They've stopped running backs pretty well. Mike Davis isn't scary. But uh, the Falcons offense, they've got minimal turnovers this year, and they've only given up eight sacks. So I think they've got like three interceptions thrown, only a couple fumbles. It's not easy to get the ball away from them. The Jets are not known for taking the ball away from teams. So it might be difficult to win the turnover battle. Still possible. Um, But, you know, it's a conservative type of offense it has three man guys they go to. They're pretty shifty, pretty speedy guys. I do think the Jets can do a good job against that offense, though. This is a 1-3 team. The Falcons are not very good. Matt Ryan's kind of a statue in the pocket. We're coming off a big sack week. I think that we can do to Matt Ryan what we just did to Ryan Tannehill. It'll just be less focused on Derrick Henry and one guy coming up the middle at you. It'll be more focusing on the receivers and Matt Ryan trying to throw the ball. On the other side, the Jets' offense versus the Atlanta defense The Atlanta defense has not been good, and Zach Wilson could potentially have another big game. Atlanta's giving up the worst opposing quarterback rating this year, 120.1 quarterback rating allowed. They've only gotten seven sacks in the entire year. It's led by Dante Fowler Jr. He's got two. No one else on the team has more than one sack. They've got seven on the year. The Jets, for comparison, have 13. The Jets had seven sacks this past week, the same amount that they've gotten through four games. The Falcons have zero interceptions and two fumble recoveries. So even though, you know, the Jets don't have any, those are the same numbers the Jets have, zero interceptions, zero or two fumble recoveries. So the Falcons also do not turn the ball over very often. They've given up 32 points per game, which is the worst in the entire NFL. They've given up the most passing touchdowns in the NFL. They have no interceptions. It's not a good defense. This team has been struggling all year, and the teams they've played, the Eagles, the Washington football team, the Giants, and the Bucks. They shouldn't be giving numbers like that to a team. The Falcons should be better than the worst in the league against the pass playing against Taylor Heineke and Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts. Really, it's not been good. Of course, this is an interesting game. There's a lot of you know weird factors that come into it, traveling and jet lag and playing a London game and the Jets not being great and the Falcons coming off of these losses and trying to pick up, I guess, a weaker team in their mind. There's a lot of stuff that can happen where the Jets could still have an off day for sure. But if there's a get-right game, we looked at the Tennessee Titans as being it after that first three games, the Falcons is even bigger. If we had a bad game against the Titans, we'd be saying, well, the Falcons is really the worst defense that we've played all year and really the opportunity to get right. So I hope that happens. Their best defensive players are like Deion Jones, Grady Jarrett, Dante Fowler. Those are some decent players, but not a lot of big names on that defense. Super young cornerbacks, A.J. Terrell, Isaiah Oliver, Avery Williams. Those guys are like 23, 23, and 25 years old and they're not, I mean, you know, they're giving up the worst quarterback passer rating in the league, the most touchdowns in the league. Not only are they young, they're not good. So my my prediction in this game is the Jets win this one. 30 points for the Jets, more than they had against the Titans, giving up only 17 points, winning in Tottenham Stadium, in London, Sunday morning, drinking Bloody Marys, the Jets go to 2-3, and three, beating up on the Falcons and showing that they are trending in the right direction going into a bye week, ready to kind of rest on their recent success and game plan for coming out of it. I mean, that would be huge, wouldn't it? Because this is an interesting game. It's one of our primetime games. It's a game that, yes, we're favored to lose by, or we're projected to lose by three points on the Vegas odds, but it's a game that the Jets absolutely could win. I think a lot of Jets fans think the Jets will win. And if they go to two and three at the bye week and you have two weeks to think about it versus going one and four after a loss to the Falcons, It's going to be a very different mindset within the Jets fan base for the team. It would be great to pull this one off. I think it's going to be a super fun game. I think Zach Wilson will make some amazing throws, have Wembley Stadium or Tottenham Stadium rocking, and I couldn't be looking forward to this game anymore, honestly. I'm glad that it's coming at 9.30 in the morning because I don't want to wait until 1. Let's go Jets. Let's pick up a victory. Let's get to 2-3. and get to second place in the AFC East. Let's start making a push, go into the bye week on a high note. And yeah. That's all I got for you on this week's episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And till then, we'll see what happens. Let's go, Jets. I'm Dan Burnham and this is the Jet Life.